morning. You guys are very similar to the nine o'clock hour that moving and speaking at the same time seemed to be a challenge. So good morning. morning. Now that you're settled, you can speak. So good to see you all to be able to worship together this morning Um, and just to be able to sing. And um, I do want to say just a a word of thanks, man. I'm just uh, so grateful for our worship team leading us this morning as they do week in and week out. Um, but I uh, especially want to give them a, a word of gratitude. They, uh, Many of them spent uh, most of their day here yesterday just um, so that they could uh, be equipped and trained um, and just spend time sort of preparing to uh, even uh, better lead us in worship. And so what a gift they are to us and so grateful for uh, Pastor Matt and his team and, and all of you guys that gave up your Saturday so that we could Sing to Jesus this morning. Such a special uh, gift that you are to us. Well, we are um, in Joshua chapter 24 and closing out um, this series in the book of Joshua today. Um, If you uh, wouldn't mind, I I don't like to ever put anyone on the spot, but if you started attending City Church in the midst of this study of the book of Joshua, would would you mind just raise your hand? Just kind of, you can just do it like have a... Look at there. Congratulations. You've just finished your first book or you're almost there. So um, it's an amazing thing. It's, if you're not new with our, excuse me, if you're brand new this morning with us, um, we are uh, finishing up uh, this book and it's our practice here at City Church to uh, generally make our way through books of the Bible. Um, and so uh, you, uh, we've, we are here at the end of another one and I should have done this earlier. It just dawned on me to think about uh, all of the books that we have worked our way through studied uh, as a church family, but it's really cool to just, for me to think back on all of the things that God has taught us, and I hope that, um, like me, this book has been fruitful in your life um, as it has been in mine. It has definitely encouraged and strengthened and um, even challenged me in so many ways in my faith. So, we come to the end of Joshua, and as we turn to the last half of chapter 24, I want to just ask you to consider, maybe ask yourself this question. Have you ever wondered what it is that God is up to in the world, what he is doing in the world? And I, I don't mean just specifically in your life. I know it's common. We often sort of kind of within the narrow lens of our day or week or months, we're thinking, okay, God, where are you or what are you calling me to do right here in this thing in front of me and in my life? But have you ever thought about what God is doing And what I would kind of say cosmically, at the largest level, the highest level, what is he doing in the world? Well, if you were with us last week, um, you got a glimpse of this, picked up on this, I hope, that what he is doing, God has been doing for a very, very long time. He has been at work bringing about redemption, what Revelation would say, making all things new. He has been at work doing these things for very, very long. From the beginning of time, what was marred by sin in the garden, in Genesis, God has been at work bringing redemption. And we said that the knowledge of that, the understanding that that is what God is doing in the world, that he is bringing about the restoration of, of, of life and the redemption of all things, making all things new, because that's what he is doing that the history of the Israelites, as we read the Old Testament, and some of us wonder why do we need to study the Old Testament or what's the Old Testament all about, as we look at this, that this is our history and all of it comprehensively points us to Jesus and comprehensively tells us about what God is doing at this larger level. 
There's one true God, and he has moved on behalf of his people. He was doing that as we saw, and as we study this book of Joshua, we read the stories of the Israelites, and he's still doing that today. As we get to the last half of this text, as I told you last week, if you're here, that we're hearing the promises of God and we're hearing about the faithfulness of God and reminding Joshua was telling the people of God all that he had done so that he could tell them how they were to live in response to that. In verse 14 of chapter 24, we see that word that is such a big clue to us as we study our Bibles. All my guys in men's Bible study know when we see that word, therefore, we look back on what it is, and this is the basis of an argument. He says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. But I want to just spend just a few moments. Some of you, it'll be review, and some of you catching you up, because I'll just tell you, pastorally, when I realize that I've got to take all of Joshua chapter 24, and for the sake of your time, so I don't get too many emails from you, I've got to divide that into two messages and split that over two weeks. I have a little tension in my heart because what we're going to hear today from Joshua and see in God's word is a heavy calling. It is something that is um, challenging for our ears to hear, I believe. And it is built upon what Joshua said in the beginning of chapter 24, and it's built upon really the entire message and one theme that we've talked about over and over and over again in this book. God says, I will do, have done, fulfilled, been faithful, been, done all that I have said. God, God does all of the work. God promised Joshua that he would give him this land, he and all his people, and then he says, because of that promise, because of what I have said, you be strong and courageous. I have said and I have done and I have shown myself to be faithful, 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 faithful. Now do this. This morning we're getting to the do this, but I don't want us to forget the promises and the faithfulness of God. This is why we spent time looking at the story of, or the, the letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus. We're in the first chapter we talked about 23 times Paul, speaking of what Christ has done on our behalf, points it all to him, to him, to him, to him, we said. And if we come to Joshua 24 and we look at what has been going on in Joshua 24, if you go back to the first part of this, what Joshua is doing, he's gathered all of God's people at this holy city called Shechem. This is the place where God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of this great nation that now exists there. And so there's this sort of uh, full circle uh, uh, kind of events that are coming full circle. Now Israel is in this place where God had promised Abraham long, long, long ago that he would make him the father of many nations, that he would be a people. And now here they stand as a people in the promised land in this same site. And Joshua recounts all of their history for them. He tells them of the faithfulness of God. And he summarizes it in this way in verse 13. This is God speaking to his people. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. I gave you, 
I did all that I promised I would do. I did that. I did it, he says. Now, therefore, Joshua says to all of people, respond to God's faithfulness with a calling to live as holy people. This is what we read in 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. And here's how they do that. Here's how Joshua describes or instructs the way that this is to happen. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. If we go back, we see the connection of what Joshua was describing in verse 1. Of chapter 24, he's telling them, he's gathered them all up. And thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So long ago, our people, he says, served other gods. God did all of this work. He brought them, he first made the promise to Abraham, then he brought them out of Egypt, then he helped us defeat the Amorites, and he, 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 he did it over and over and over and over again. He did all these things, showing himself to be the one who blesses, the one who loves us, the one who has provided for us, how faithful he is to us in spite of all of this. And guess what? In spite of the fact that they were worshiping other gods, now he says to them, Because of the faithfulness of God, put away those other gods that our forefathers have worshipped. Put away those and serve the Lord. You've seen all that God has done, he says. You know who you are. He has made you so. And so, what is the proper response? How are we to respond to this God has been unbelievably faithful with obedience, with holiness. And the reason I wanted to preview that is because, again, what Joshua and what God is going to call us to is a very high calling. And I don't want you to think that God is saying that to us without first reminding us, without first teaching us, without first telling us, look at all that I have done for you. Look at the faithfulness that I have demonstrated in your life. And so... Joshua now tells his people, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, here is this famous line, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river Or the gods of the Amorites where we just came from and we saw all that God did and whose land you now dwell? No, but for me me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, Joshua says. And he challenges the people. Based on all that you know that God has done, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, he says, we will serve the Lord. How many of us have that scripture written somewhere in our homes? Nicole's made us a sign. We've got it in our family room. It says, I will serve the Lord. For me and my house, we serve the Lord. And we put that everywhere and we think about that and we tell our children, we're gonna serve the Lord. And it's, it's something we think about and maybe remind ourselves of often. But here comes a warning. We should consider what that really means. 
we should consider the weight of those words. Choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answer Joshua. He tells them, because of all that you've seen God do, because of his unbelievable faithfulness to us, I can't speak today, faithfulness to us, I want you to serve the Lord and serve him completely. And the people respond and they say, of course, Joshua, yes, we will. Then the people answered, far be it from us, this is verse 16, that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did great, those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. So here's what we know from their response. They recognize all that Joshua had recounted in those first 13 verses about God's movement and his faithfulness to his people. These people recognized his faithfulness to them. They understood how God had brought them out of Egypt and had protected them against the Amorites and had brought them into this land and gifted it to them. They understood completely how God was faithful. And in response, they say, of course, Joshua, how else could we? What, what else could we do but serve the Lord? We will do that no problem. And then we get one of the most challenging verses in Scripture, in verse 19. I'm not sure where it ranks. I told the 9 o'clock service I was going to have Caleb figure that out this week. It's okay. You can laugh. I don't know the, where it ranks, but I know this is a challenging text. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Wait a minute. If you've been a part of our church for any time now, you've heard me say in some form or fashion, it's okay to not be okay. You've heard me address myself or reference myself as a train wreck. I don't take myself too seriously. Realizing how often I fail and I, I say, we run to Jesus. We run to the grace that we have seen displayed through Christ. But here, Joshua says, you're not able to serve the Lord. They say, we're going to worship you. We're going to worship God. We're going to respond to God and all that he has done, and we're going to worship him. And he says, you can't. How could that be? Isn't God loving and gracious and tender and always welcoming? And many of those things are true, yes. But Joshua, what Joshua knows, and the reason that he says these words is he understands, he knows what is going on in the lives of the people that he speaks to. As we close out this book, you'll get to the very end. It says that Joshua is 110 years old at his death. He has walked with these people, shepherded these people, cared for these people, led these people for many, many years. He knows very well all the details of their lives and all that they're a part of and all that they do. And it's because of that knowledge that he challenges them and he pushes back against them as they, they proudly exclaim, of course, Joshua, we're going to worship God. We'll worship him alone. No, you're not able to serve the Lord. And why are they not able to serve the Lord? 
because he is holy and because he is a jealous God. What does this mean? There are some who say that they will worship God, who choose to worship the Lord, who will confess to worship God while continuing to worship the idols of their forefathers. That's what is going on with these Israelites. They have no problem. They're not pushing back against saying they will worship God and praise him for all the things that he has done. But the calling that Joshua gave them, if you remember, he says, lay down the idols of your forefathers that they worshiped on the other side of the river because I know you've just continued to worship those lesser gods. You've continued to allow them to have influence over you. There's a difference between saying that you will worship God and you will worship God only. There's a difference. God is a jealous God. He will not be mixed with other gods just sort of intertwined in the way of our lives. I have a friend many years ago who was Hindu. And he and I had many conversations about the Lord, about Jesus specifically. We talk about my faith and why I follow Jesus and why I worship him and all of those things. And I try to encourage him to consider Jesus. And I'll just tell you, it was really hard to have a conversation with him about Jesus because his response was always like, oh yeah, of course. Jesus, he is, he's a good man. I, I, I have no problems with Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I, I would even worship Jesus. I consider him to be worthy of worship. But he would do that all the while, continuing to worship all of his other gods in a polytheistic kind of a way. See, before, actually it's only been probably about 300 years that atheism has been an idea in the world, a relatively new idea. Prior to that, every person for all of human history understood that there was a God and there was worship, there was a response in some form or fashion. And see, the Israelites, like my Hindu friend, they said, I, I worship God along with all of the other gods. I want you to consider your own heart for a moment. My friend was happy to have Jesus in his life, happy to consider Jesus worthy of worship, but he wasn't willing to worship Jesus alone. And as we think about other people in our lives, one of the things that we can often do is look at others and perhaps like me, I was grieved for my friend. I had pity upon my friend. I, I wanted him to know the hope of Jesus. And it seemed like there was all these other things that were competing for his attention. And you might be thinking even now, yes, how sad that would be for someone to not know Jesus, to not worship Jesus. But we should look at our own lives and realize how often are we not too dissimilar. Yes, I'll worship Jesus. I will give my life to God. But there's all these lesser gods that continually fight for our attention and our affection and lead us and we ultimately worship them right alongside. Joshua is telling his people, they can't think that this God, the one true God, 
is on the same level as all the other lesser gods that they are worshiping. And make no mistake, it is worship that we do. It's because we were created for it. Again, the idea of not worshiping God is something that's a relatively new concept in the course of human history. We realize that we were created to worship. And what happens as we live our lives, we continually are drifting in and out of various degrees of worship on some level or of another of all the things in the world. It is worship that comes. We're created to do it. And so whatever captures our heart, whatever is sort of the thing that we are pursuing the most, guess what will happen? Our hearts will be inclined. We will be tempted to worship it. That's why it's so important that we spend time with the Lord, that we spend time pursuing the Lord and allowing our hearts to be pursued by him. Because only when we are captured by the Lord will we worship him alone. We will drift in and out so often. That's the fleshly battle that we all face. How do we do that? That's why I know it sounds sometimes self-serving, but I, I promise you it's not. I've told you this many, many times. Spending time with the Lord means spending time with his people, means spending time in his word, means spending time in prayer, communicating with him. We want to grow our affections for the Lord so that the lesser gods, those small things, we can cast those off. I read from Ephesians 1 last week and all of those, the, the, the reminder of the power of the gospel that it was all because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of Jesus that we can be even alive, it says, that we're made new in him. And I have to do that. I have to spend that time reading that, that word from him, meditating on that so that, that my affections grow. So that when I hear those words about who Jesus is and what he has done for me, I can't help but respond with worship. I can't help it. It's, it's, it's the natural response of my regenerated life, the spirit of God in me, when I hear all that God has done, that I would worship him. And if I don't submit myself and sort of put my life in relationship with other people in, this, in the church, in the context of his word and all these things, I'm going to drift away. I can easily forget. And so we have to do that so that we can be reminded of who God is. Joshua understands the situation that these people find themselves in. Happy to worship God alongside of their other gods. But here's the thing about God's holiness. God is holy enough to save us. His holiness is what leads us to worship him. It's so great as we consider who God is in contrast to who we are and we think about all that he has done in our life, we can't help but worship him. But guess what? His holiness is also so great that he is insulted when we don't consider him as worthy of our worship alone. He's insulted when we don't recognize his holiness. Deion Sanders Perhaps the greatest defensive back in NFL history or one of the greatest defensive backs in all of NFL history. I won't argue that with you. Just, it's just a reality. If you've ever heard Dion speak, 
I've heard him speak on the radio. I've been kind of faced there in a in a in person sort of scenario where I've heard him speak. You you know that Dion thinks he's pretty special. He loves him some Dion. Okay, <laughs> that's just the reality of who he is. And Dion is so special, so gifted, so talented, has so many trophies hanging on the wall and all that sort of stuff that he is offended if you don't recognize how great he is. He does not want to tell you. In fact, he won't tell you how great he is. He just expects you to know how great he is. And he expects you to communicate that to him when you're in his presence. And he, he's, he's going to remind you, if, if you don't acknowledge that well enough, then he might, then he might say, hey, you might need to remember who I am. The God of the universe that created that man, that gave him all of that talent, that did all the things that he has done in this world, how much greater is he worthy of our acknowledgement that he is so holy and so other than I am, that he is worthy of my life completely and in him alone. His holiness demands that we recognize his holiness that we understand it. And this is what Joshua is getting at when he says, you're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God, for he is a jealous God. He's not going to sit on a level playing field with all the other gods of your life. We cannot expect that. And that's what he gets to in verse 20. Joshua says that he is going to rebuke and actually discipline those that he loves to bring them back. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. I had a friend long ago, another friend of mine, that he said often, you know what, he really celebrated that he uh, didn't get in too much trouble in, in kind of his younger days. And he would said, it was God's grace to me that I got caught often. He, he, he was thankful that he got caught often before he could get too far down the line in some of the things that his, his flesh and his life would tempt him to pursue. And it's God's grace to us that he, he, he corrects us and he disciplines us. Again, sometimes we receive that as hard and even this message, it might feel like, wow, that's, there, there's, some, there's some firmness here from the Lord. But that's his grace to you to remind you of how holy he is and how worthy he is alone of our worship. And so after having reminded the people of this and telling them, you better be sure that you understand what you're saying to the Lord when you say you're going to worship him alone. He's saying, you don't know, I don't think you can. The people respond. And in verses 21 through 25, they make this covenant with God. Joshua leads them into this. And this is a practice that the people of this time would use. They would make a commitment. And the people say to, say to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, are you sure? Yes, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they responded, yes, we are witnesses. In a sense, it's our own testimony that God will hold against us when we drift away from following the Lord. When we drift away from worshiping him only. When we drift away from serving him in sincerity and in faithfulness. When these other lesser gods come back around and tempt us. And so Joshua made a covenant with the people on that day and put, statu put in place statues and rules for them at Shechem. Now we know Joshua dies, the people of Israel 
not too long from now, after making this covenant, after testifying before God, being witnesses against themselves, will once again fall into the worship of lesser things, fall into the worship of idols. They will drift away, and this will be a reminder to them. And for us, the good news is, is where Israel failed, there was a greater Israel, and his name is Jesus. And where they could not worship God alone, where they could not live in perfect obedience, Jesus came and did what Israel could not do. And that's why when Peter calls the church on this side of the resurrection, he calls the church to look and be holy based on who Jesus is. Let's look again at what Sarah read for us. Therefore, preparing your minds for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you holy is holy, Jesus, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Paul said it a different way in Romans chapter 12. Paul appeals, he says, to the brothers by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How do you do that? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Peter says that you shall be holy like Jesus. You shall follow him in your own holiness. If you call him as father who judges impartially each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. One of the previous books we worked through was Exodus. We remembered as we studied that book together that we're in exile. This isn't our home. And we're called to be a people who are holy. So as the worship team in just a few moments is gonna lead us, I just want to invite you, ask that you spend some time in prayer. Ask the Lord. What are those lesser gods, those idols, let's call them what they are, those idols that have captured your attention and your affection and are preventing you from worshiping Jesus alone, from serving him in complete faithfulness and obedience and realizing that it is that worship of him and and, and putting him first and only first. It said in the early service, we like to have second and third place because we all kind of know we're generally, we're not going to win very often. Jesus is the only one that has a place. It's not that there is a second and third place. We try to manufacture these second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth places in our lives, but there's only one place that Jesus belongs. There's no other steps. There's not that we can put Jesus here and then this and this and this and this below. No, Jesus is the only one who is worthy of worship, who 
as we worship him, as we see who he is and we think back to all he has done, all the grace that we preached about last week, that we know to be true in our lives, if it doesn't lead us to worship, holiness is going to lag behind. But when we worship Jesus alone, when we worship him for who he is, holiness becomes an overflow of that worship. And so I just encourage you, spend some time this morning confessing to God, saying to the Lord, I have allowed this pursuit, this dream, this relationship, this status, this situation, this world event, I've allowed these things to capture my heart and my mind in such a way that they, I, I, have found, I know that I am worshiping them. I'm believing that they have the power to do something that only you have the power to do. Confess that to Jesus. And he is tender and he does receive us with grace and mercy. And ask the Holy Spirit of God to help you to lead us to be a people who are holy because Jesus is holy and we worship him alone. Him alone. We don't just take Jesus and say, I'm gonna add him into a few other things. No, it's him alone that we worship. We're gonna sing an old song. One of the lines says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And as you do that, as his glory becomes, captures your heart and attention, the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Let those things grow strangely. He uses the word strangely, I think, on purpose. It's not natural. They grow strangely dim when our attention and our affection is so strongly centered on who Jesus is everything else fades away. So bow your heads and confess that to the Lord. Give those idols away. Lay them down and choose this day whom you will serve. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord alone. Alone. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.